0: Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. This is Pastor Josh, and I want to thank you for joining me. I'm so glad that you are listening in today. At Valley View Friends Church, we are learning to live as God's people concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Please subscribe to the podcast to always get the next episode. Now let's turn our attention to this week's message. There's an old story, or at least I've heard it many a time. I think I've even used it a few times about the Lifeboat Club. It goes like this. On a dangerous sea coast, where shipwrecks often occurred, there was once a crude little lifeboat station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat, but the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea and, with no thought for themselves, sacrificially went out, day or night, tirelessly in search for the lost." Some of those who have been saved and others in the area wanted to become associated with the station and give of their time, their money, and their effort to support the little station and its work. A new, smarter boat was bought and new crews were trained. The lifeboat station grew. Some members of the lifeboat station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge for those saved from the sea. They replaced the emergency hammocks with beds, and they put better furniture in the enlarged building. Now the lifeboat station became a popular gathering place for its members, and they decorated and furnished it beautifully. They used it as a sort of club Fewer members were now interested in going out on life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do this work. Life-saving pictures and mementos still decorated the club's walls, and there was a lifeboat model in the room where the official club meetings were held. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, half drowned people. They were dirty and sick and came in from different countries. The beautiful new club was in chaos, so the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where shipwrecked victims could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities since they were unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal life of the club. A few members insisted that life-saving was their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a lifeboat station. But they were outvoted and told that if they wanted to save lives of, of all types, uh they could begin their own lifeboat station down the coast, and so they did. As the years went by, similar changes took place in the new station as well, and slowly it became a club, and yet another lifeboat station was founded, separating from that new club. History continued to repeat itself, and the seacoast today, you'll find a number of exclusive clubs all along that coastline. Shipwrecks still frequent the waters, but most of the people remain in trouble as the people are too busy in the clubs. That story is a sad parable all too often of what churches end up doing. We can all too often become a club, forgetting our identity, forgetting our purpose. Often we start well, but we get off track. It's tempting to follow our own preferences or to obey our worries. We start with... We start well by saying, you know, I'm forgiven by Jesus. I want to tell other people about Jesus. I want to praise the Lord with others who are forgiven by Jesus. And that works until our sin nature creeps back in. Sin sometimes rears its head in obvious ways, but most often sin is subtle in rearing its head in a false holiness or a self-righteousness. Most times when a congregation loses its way, it's not because they're willingly doing evil. A congregation or a Christian can be so convinced of their own righteousness, of their own correctness, of their own wisdom, that they are blind to the evil they are propagating. And that sort of situation is what John the Apostle is dealing with in his first letter. John is writing to a church that started well, but now some of its people have become convinced that they are spiritually superior. They've made it, they've arrived, they've matured, and they're certain they know what is best, and they know what Jesus really wants. And they're also convinced that sin is no longer a problem for them, and they are pushing other believers out who are not as spiritual as they are. And so, John is writing to a divided church, a congregation who has lost their way. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit and God speaks a word that they needed to hear and we need to hear about what it means to be a congregation, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be the people of God and how we act and live and walk in our lives. So, over the next few weeks, I want to walk with you through some select passages from 1 John. In particular, I want you to pay attention to a simple phrase that goes all throughout 1 John. It's a phrase, just two words, so simple we would ignore them until we realize they show up over 20 times in 1 John. The phrase, this is. In fact, often those words, this is, accompany with this is how we know not always, but often it's, this is how we know. God uses these little words to show us how important, to show us important declarations of how we can know that we are following Jesus rightly, how we can know the the church is healthy, how we can know that we're believing the right things. So, today, I want us to begin uh, just a little bit into the letter. We're not starting right at the beginning. We're jumping in a couple of verses with one of the first of two major statements made in First John. Uh, in John 1 5. I'll read those two major statements here. In John chapter 1, verse 5 is the first statement. That's where we're going to begin today. And he we read these words. This is the message. And then later in 1 John 3:11, the phrase shows up again. This is the message. So in John 1.5, we're told, This is the message. God is light. In him, there's no darkness at all. And in John 3.11, we're told what the message is again. It says that we should love one another. These are the two ideas that the whole letter revolves around. I think most of us aren't going to dwell on that first one too hard. Oh, of course God is light. We live in an age where people are obsessed, however, with how we should love one another. And so we gravitate towards that second one, that we should love one another. In our culture today, what's ironic, though, as much as there is an emphasis on loving people, you can get beat up for not loving people the right way, however culture sees fit. I don't know why people don't see the irony in that. The reality is you cannot love one another without living by John First uh, John one five, which, say, which says, "God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all." If you don't have that statement first, you can't do the other one. We need to love one another. So let's go to First John chapter one verses five through seven. That's our beginning text. Uh, over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at different ones from First 1 John, but we're starting here just a little ways into the letter, beginning in chapter one verse five. This is the message we have heard from him, and by that they mean Jesus, this is the message we have heard from Jesus and declare to you, God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. Knowing God and walking in His light. This is is what the text is telling us. That knowing God and walking in His light will produce healthy relationships with Jesus. And Jesus' forgiveness will be at their core. So, knowing God and walking in His light will produce healthy relationships, and those relationships will have the forgiveness of Jesus at their core. So, let's begin with that first phrase God is light. William Barclay, his commentary on 1 John, uh, and if you look at the, the whole passage, we just read a part of it today, it's 1 John 5. Through one five through chapter two verse two, William Barclay he's he's known for having very pithy. Uh, commentaries that are more devotionals and are shorter. Most of them are just a page or two in length on a given passage. On this one, he's uncharacteristic. He, he writes 20 pages of insights on this section that we read from 1st John chapter 1. 20 pages. And one of the first statements he says is one that is very important for us to hear and to dwell on. He writes, a person's character will be determined by the character of the God they worship. A person's character will be determined by the character of the God they worship. We could spend a long time on that idea alone. Bob Dylan sang about it in his song, You Gotta Serve Somebody. In that song, he talked about all the different ways you can serve. Uh, He basically boiled it down to everyone, everyone must serve someone. His catch line, his chorus was, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord. You gotta serve somebody. We all have a God we follow. The character of that god, little g, will shape your character. If your god is success, your highest moral value will be shaped by getting more success. If your god is greed, your character is going to follow that. If your god is anger, so too your character will reflect anger. It's amazing what our character reveals about who we are and what we worship. (laughs) The comedian Will Ferrell said this, if you'll be gracious enough to allow me to read something by him. It said, before you marry somebody, make them use a computer with slow internet to see who they really are. (laughs) It's amazing what is revealed in our character in those frustrating situations. And our our character will reveal who we worship and, and what we're built on. And Our character is shaped by what we value, and we often worship what we value, and what we worship is our God whether it's the one true God or a false God. Charles Spurgeon said this, Character is always lost when a high ideal is sacrificed at the altar of conformity and popularity. And for some people, that's their God. I want to be like everyone else. I want to be popular. I want to have the crowd happy with me. John knows the connection between the God you worship and your character and he wants the congregation that he's writing to to be healthy so he begins most importantly with a found with a foundation of who god is and so he writes god is light in him there is no darkness at all To say God is light is to say several things about God. We can't cover them all today, but just a couple of them very quickly is, one, light is a glorious thing. Light is welcoming and mesmerizing. How lovely a campfire is, how warm and inviting and yet dangerous it can be, right? Think of seeing a sky full of stars in the summer night. It's a glorious sight. All those lights up in the heavens are welcoming. The porch light light of your home at the end of a long day can be very welcoming. The beauty of a sunset or sunrise, it's glorious. And so, to say God is light is to say that He is glorious. And all through the Bible, God is described with the image of light. In Exodus, God appears to Moses in a burning bush. Psalm 104 verse 2 tells us that God wraps Himself in light. John chapter 1 verse 9 tells us about Jesus saying that he is the true light that gives light to everyone who is coming into the world. Uh, John 8.12 says this, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. God is glorious and worthy of praise. We have a God who is to be worshipped, and that is our chief calling. And we'll come back to that idea that worship is our chief calling here at the end of our message. Another thing about light is that light is a guide. Each morning when I get up, if I get up before Betsy, uh, my wife, I carefully tiptoe around in the dark, trying and failing to not stub my toe on the end of the bed or bump into the ironing board. Uh, Betsy, on the other hand, if she gets it before I do, she immediately turns on the light, blinds me and wakes me up. But she can see exactly where she's going. The light guides her, and God is our guide as a light. We need his guidance. False gods, as lifeless as they may be, are quick to mislead us in life. Psalm 119, 105 famously says, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. And so I have the question for you, who is guiding your life? Can you say truly that you are letting God guide you, letting his word guide you? Or are you just kind of guiding yourself as best as you think you can? A third thing that light does and that is true about God is light, it reveals. This is perhaps the most obvious thing that light does. It reveals. It reveals what is hidden. It pulls back the darkness and shows what is underneath. When you need clarity about what lies up ahead, this is welcome. And when you don't want your sin and bad behavior exposed, light is unwelcome. It is amazing how we try to hide what we do not want to see. It's a story of a telemarketer. It's a joke. There's a telemarketer called a home one day, and a small voice whispered, Hello? Hello, what's your name? Still whispering, the voice said, Jimmy. How old are you, Jimmy? I'm four. Good. Is your mother home? Yes, but she's busy. Okay. Is your father home? Yes, he's busy, too. Oh, I see. Is is there anyone else there? The police. The police? May I speak to one of them? Telemarketer's getting a bit worried at this point. They're busy. Any other grown-ups are there? Yeah, firemen. My goodness, can I speak to someone, an adult, one of the firemen, please? They're all busy. Jimmy, all these people are in your house, and and I'm getting worried, and I can't talk to any of them. Are you okay? What are they doing? They're looking for me, whispered Jimmy. (laughs) It's amazing how much we like to hide, and that's funny. That's a joke. But we each can be very good at hiding what we don't want others to see, the stuff that we're ashamed of, the past we want to forget. We all have had moments where we've wanted to hide our sin. Sometimes we do it without even realizing it, and that's part of the problem that John's addressing. There have arisen those in the church that believe themselves to be of a higher spiritual quality. Sin is no longer their problem to face. They believe it cannot touch them. Uh, This sort of pride and self-righteousness is revealing the problem of sin that's still at work in their lives, but they don't know it. They're hiding from the light. they don't realize it. This isn't a passage of scripture about people committing heinous sins. It's about people who believe themselves to be just fine. This isn't a big deal. I'm, I'm okay. God is happy with me. But it doesn't always work that way. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And so John writes, as he already had written earlier, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Brennan Manning says this, the men and women who are truly filled with light are those who have gazed deeply into the darkness of their own imperfect existence. It is a problem when a person is unwilling to be revealed by the light, when they're unwilling to face sin. They might be blind to sin. They might be completely unaware of it. They might be unwilling to believe in their own problem. But you can't remain in the darkness and also walk with God. It just can't be done. And you do no one any favors, including yourself, by letting them stay hidden in the darkness instead of dealing with that darkness by exposing it to God's light. Do you need to face what you have hidden in the dark? Do you have a loved one that you're avoiding, allowing them to remain in the dark while they Think they're in the light. They're going, ah, I don't have a problem. It's okay. Darkness is never fun to deal with. As a child and teenager, I did a lot of camping. I loved hiking and uh, I loved setting up the campsite. I loved the scenery. I loved the adventure. I did not like the dark. The dark was always uncomfortable for me, it was unfriendly, it was mysterious. Things that I would see in the dark always looked a lot bigger than they did in the daytime, more menacing in the day than they did in the daytime. And it's the same way with problems. When we leave them in the dark, they feel bigger. They feel more monstrous, but getting them out in the open, and in our case in the light of God makes them something that can be faced. Hmm. Darkness in the Bible? Because this passage does mention darkness. It says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Darkness in the Bible represents the Christless life. It represents ignorance. It represents chaos, immorality. Darkness is hostile to God's light. And that's why it's something we often don't want to tangle with, especially when a loved one is stuck in darkness. Who'd rather let sleeping dogs lie? We say it's easier to let them be in the dark than to face the fight, but it is not. Problems that are undealt with grow. Problems undealt with will ripen and stink. Problems undealt with will affect a person's eternity. we got to get them into the light. Expose it so it can be dealt with. Decide today that you're going to walk with Jesus in his light, taking whatever he exposes about yourself and letting Jesus handle it and transform you. But then comes the question, how do you know if you or those that you worship with or you have a relationship with or those that you know and love are shaped by God and his light or by darkness? How do we know if I'm walking in the light correctly or if I'm just deceived and I'm actually walking in darkness? Well, John actually gives us two signposts to look for. Two clues to know if you are truly walking in the light of Christ or if you're just staying in darkness. And here they are. He says the first one is your fellowship will be healthy. Andrew Murray writes this, our love to God is measured by our everyday fellowship with others and the love it displays. It displays. Let's read first John chapter one verses six and seven again. It says this if we claim to have fellowship with him, meaning God, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with Now what would you expect to read in that with? It starts with if we have if we claim to have fellowship with God and yet walk in darkness, we're lying. So you would expect it to say, if we walk in the light as he is in light, that we would have fellowship with God. But it doesn't say that. Verse seven says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. That's not what I expect to read but it's what God wants us to hear. The result and sign of a healthy walk with God is that we have healthy fellowship with other Christians. Major divisions between believers is a sign of a problem that is hidden in darkness, and you've got to get the light on yourself, and got to get God's light on the relationship, and got to get God's light on the problem. A divided congregation needs to turn on the light and let the Holy Spirit be at work. A healthy fellowship will be one that encourages and welcomes and helps others to thrive in the light of Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. Anytime you sense a problem in the fellowship, your first inkling should be, I've got to get closer to God. So, start with you. Whenever there's a problem you're facing, especially a relationship problem, start with yourself saying, okay, I need to get closer to God. I need to check myself. I need to let the Holy Spirit work on me. And then after you've done that, seek out others and get that light on others. Watchman Knee writes these words Fellowship means, among other things, that we are ready to receive of Christ from others. Other believers minister Christ to me, and I'm ready to receive. And that leads me to the second signpost that John gives us that we are walking, uh, that shows us that we are healthy and walking the way we should be with God. So the first one is that we have healthy fellowship with other believers, other Christians. The second sign is, is that the forgiveness of Jesus is at the heart. Of the congregation and those relationships with other believers. Okay, so walking with God in His light fosters an ongoing ongoing sense of needing forgiveness. If you're walking with God, the more you do it, the more you grow as a Christian, the more you will feel gratitude for the saving power of Jesus. It should not be that you feel like you've matured and arrived and you've grown into this sin free state and you're going, Boy, I'm so glad Jesus transformed me so I don't have to worry about sin anymore. You should grow in hope. Holiness. But as you grow in holiness, you should realize more and more how much we fall short of the glory of God, how we fall short of the holiness of God, and how we each need the grace of Jesus and his forgiveness all the more. A healthy person walking with God knows their need for forgiveness. A healthy person walking with God will help other people find the forgiveness of Jesus. A healthy person walking with God will forgive others the way that Jesus has forgiven them. This must happen. Wherever unforgiveness remains, God's light is needed. A healthy Christian and congregation should be in awe of the saving power of Jesus, in awe of his forgiveness. One of the great privileges, the no, not one of, the great privilege of the church is to worship the risen Christ Jesus, the Savior of the word of the world. That is your calling, whether you are by yourself, alone, or gathered together on a Sunday morning, wherever you find yourself at as part of the church, it is your privilege and your calling to worship and proclaim and to rejoice in the forgiving, saving power of Jesus. When the church gathers, you get to proclaim Jesus. You proclaim him in song, in word, in testimony, and encouraging your neighbor who's sitting next to you, in hearing the word. Um, each moment of the gathered body, is an opportunity to proclaim Christ, light of the world and Savior mankind. That is our mission. It's not just that we get together and, and say hi and be friendly and love one another. We get together and have good songs. And Our mission, our calling, our privilege is to proclaim and worship the risen Christ, the Savior, the one who forgave us. And so forgiveness should be at the core of the fellowship. A noted English architect, Sir Christopher Wren, was supervising the construction of a magnificent cathedral in London. A journalist thought it would be interesting to interview some of the workers, so he chose three and asked them this question. What are you doing? That was the question. What are you doing? The first one replied, I'm cutting stone for ten shillings a day. The next answered, I'm putting 10 hours a day in on this job. The third said, I'm helping Sir Christopher Wren construct one of London's greatest cathedrals. Let's make sure that whatever we do as a church, we keep in mind our calling. Whatever it is that we keep in mind, above all else, we are proclaiming the saving power of Christ and His forgiveness is at the core of our fellowship. (sighs) And I'm struck by something else about Jesus who is the light of the world. He uses that same description, the light of the world, to describe those who would be his disciples. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 14-16, through 16, it says this, Jesus is speaking, he says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, but instead they put it on its stand and it gives a light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. As Christians, we are to bring light that is the hope of Jesus' of saving power and forgiveness To others. There's a story about Robert Louis Stevenson growing up in Scotland, and in those days, street lamps. Uh, didn't just turn on automatically. People were hired to light each one individually. And one evening, as the lamplighters did their work climbing their ladders, lifting the glass lid and lighting the torch, shutting the lid, climbing down and moving on to the next lamp, young Stevenson was enthralled. As dusk settled into night, one light could be, would be kindled, then another and another. And he turned to his parents and said, Look, they're punching holes in the darkness. We don't want to punch others but we want to put holes in the darkness by shining the light of Christ. Will you resolve to do this, to shine the light of Christ everywhere you go? Put holes in the darkness. Do not tolerate darkness, hiding the problems and the sins that people have, but shine light lovingly. Have healthy relationships. Let forgiveness be at the core of those relationships. Will you do this? let's pray. Lord, thank you for loving each of us so much that you are unwilling to let us stay in the darkness and sin. Thank you for Jesus, for his sacrifice, his saving power. Lord, I pray that you would reveal in me anything that I've been hiding in the dark and help our church here at Valley View and the church worldwide to grow in you, to increase the health of our fellowship, and help us to joyfully and powerfully proclaim and embody the forgiving power of Christ here in our fellowship and in all of our relationships. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.